0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: This has been so misunderstood and there have been guys that have used it to try to say to the women in their lives, I, I'm control over you. You do what I say because I'm the man of the home and you'll listen to me. Which is not what he was wanting to say at all. Not here or not in the letter to the church of Ephesus. In the letter to the church of Ephesus he says, To the women be submissive unto your husbands. And then he says, And husbands die for your wives. Lay down your lives for them, even as Christ laid down His life for the church.
0: Scripture, when isolated and not read and understood in context, can often be misinterpreted. Today on Practical Christian Living, we look at a passage out of 1 Timothy containing one such verse the instruction for a woman to be submissive, and what scripture also says about the man's role. Whoa, stay with us. You're going to want to listen to this. Here comes 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 15 with Robert Furrow, pastor of
1: Calvary, Tucson. Hey, lift up holy hands. Let's be passionate. God, save my children. God, save my parents. Lord, intervene. Because if you don't intervene, what's going to happen to my kids? If you don't intervene, they're lost. They're perishing. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. That's what he wants from us. That's effective prayer. Effective prayer is fervent prayer. Effective prayer is holy. And you can be holy by calling out to Jesus today and asking him to forgive your sins. You might say, my prayers aren't going to be very effective because I'm not a holy man. You can be in a moment. You can be if you confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And at the moment that you pray that prayer and begin to pray for your children, you're no different than a guy, if it were possible, who has not sinned in the last 10 years. You might think that his prayers would be more powerful because he's been a good guy for 10 years and you've been a good guy for 10 seconds. But in the spiritual world, you both stand the same. This guy doesn't even exist. He never will exist, okay? Because no one's going to be perfect for 10 years, right? But if there was, you would both stand before the, the throne of God calling out upon his name the same so that every man in here can call out to God for the sake of his children. You can lift up holy hands and plead with God for your family and your home and the lost. Paul says, that's what I want. Men everywhere to lift up holy hands and likewise the women. He wants you ladies to do the same. And so now we enter into what is the most controversial passage in the entire Bible. Paul gets us in so much trouble here. This passage has gotten so many pastors in trouble. I think a few have gotten lynched because of this passage. I think some ladies in the church all got together and said, get a rope. Let's get that guy. Can't believe he said this. This has been so misunderstood and there have been guys that have used it to try to say to the women in their lives, I, I'm control over you. You do what I say because I'm the man of the home and you'll listen to me. Which is not what he was wanting to say at all. Not here or not in the letter to the church of Ephesus. In the letter to the church of Ephesus, he says, to the women, be submissive unto your husbands. And then he says, and husbands... Die for your wives. Lay down your lives for them, even as Christ laid down his life for the church. And when the Bible says women be submissive, we go, what you talking about, Willis? (laughs) What do you mean be submissive to my husband? I'm not a dog to be submissive. But you realize when you keep reading that the husband's got the harder part because he lays down his life for his wife. And let's let's just think about culture. Let's think about our culture, first of all. Where have we come from? Let's think about women and what women have fought for over the last hundred years. That is our culture. Let's think about women fighting for the vote. Let's think about women fighting for equality in the workplace. Let's think about women fighting for equality when it comes to wages. And these have been fights. These have been very real fights in our culture. And when we read this passage, it's very hard for us to take the glasses of our culture off and realize that, was, that if Paul were writing in our culture, he would say it differently. But he's writing in their culture. And in their culture, there was something else that was going on. In their culture, there was... Rome had entered into a, a period of extravagance. I don't mean slightly, I don't mean some people flaunting their wealth in front of others in a slight manner. Rome had entered into an area where there was so much wealth for the wealthy that they were now being entertained by people killing each other in the arena. Not only were they being entertained by people killing themselves in the arena, they were being entertained by the children of their enemies being brought into the arena and wild animals turned upon them. And children being made to fight and kill each other. It's kind of like the Hunger Games, right? In fact, I'm positive that that's where she got that from. We might think that she's talking about reality TV. I'm not so sure. I think as she writes the book, she's looking back to the culture of Rome. She's talking about Rome as the capital and these people that a whole culture, a whole culture of people went into the arena. It was the most sought after ticket you could get so that they could watch children devoured in the arena. And they dressed to the hilt and they flaunted their wealth. And they had giant, huge parties where they gorged themselves with food and then threw up and gorged themselves more with food so that they could, so that they could, could, could show off and, and gain what they did on the backs of the incredibly impoverished in the empire of Rome. You have this incredibly impoverished people and the incredibly wealthy. And in the streets of Ephesus, there were some women walking down the streets who were Romans they were over the top they'd had their hair done and they looked like Dolly Parton hair <laughs> and I realized that's a wig on her but I mean for the most part Dolly Parton hair going on right and they were had a lot of bling on gold and silver and they braided gold and silver in their hair and they flaunted themselves then there was the temple of Dionysus in Ephesus and this temple was countercultural. I was had a conversation with my daughter. That's this, the word she used. The temple was countercultural. It was women dressed up like men and men dressed up like women. And when men dress up like women, they go over the top, right? Because they really want to look like a woman. They don't dress like what a woman would dress like normally. They go over the top to try to look like a woman. And so in this countercultural religious worship group for Dionysus in Ephesus. There were also temple prostitutes. So there were women walking around in seductive clothing that were part of this worship group. Well, the church was also counterculture. Here's this new church, living for Jesus. It's got things like communion, where they're drinking the blood of Christ and eating the body of Christ. The people in Rome are going, This is weird. And Paul is saying to the women, I don't want you to dress in such a way to bring attention to yourself. The way that we get attention is not by the way that we dress. We want to dress differently than these people that are the uber rich in, in the Roman culture. And we want to dress differently, certainly, than these people who are worshiping Dionysus. Because we don't want people to confuse you ladies in the church with the women at Dionysus. We want them to know the worship that we are doing comes from our heart. And so, Paul isn't writing to our culture. If this is put into the context of our culture, we'd all be mad at Paul. But if it's put in the culture that he's writing it in, all of a sudden we have a better understanding. All right, with that said, nine minutes to finish this. Verse, uh, verse nine, in like manner. Now, when it says in like manner, which is the reason I did it today, should have done it in two messages, but it's the reason I did it today, was because that's talking about prayer. In like manner, as the men are holding up holy hands, praying without wrath and without doubting, in like manner, women, also, that the women... Adorn themselves in modest apparel. Certainly, Paul has not dressing sensually in mind. But that's not all. There are other passages in the New Testament that deal only with dressing sensually, where Paul is saying, look, don't dress that way. Don't dress that way to draw attention to yourself and uh, instead dress modestly. But the modest apparel here, in context is not necessarily the sensual, although I'm sure he had that in mind when he's thinking about especially the prostitutes of the temple of Dionysus. The modesty that he has in mind here is don't go over the top. Don't be like this Roman culture that has to go out there and live in this way. We don't need women in the church, Paul was saying, living like these people that are dressed when they go to the arena to watch people torn to bits. Paul was saying, let's let's divorce ourselves from that aspect of the culture Let's dress ourselves in a way. And he goes on to say, In like manner also, the women would adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety, moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, it has been said that braided hair was the sign of a prostitute. Maybe so. I'm not so sure, by the way, doing a little bit of research on it. But maybe so. Women in their day would braid gold and pearls into their hair. Like today. Now, some have taken this passage, not with gold and not with pearls and, and not with braided hair, to say, listen, what needs to be done is that women need to not wear makeup like the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? No, no gold, no gold, no earrings, no jewelry, no makeup, because that's what it's saying. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying don't be over the top. It's saying don't come into church like you're at some government formal, like you're going to eat dinner with the president. Don't come into church like, wow, Dolly Parton. Don't come into church like that. It's saying, listen, wear what's proper. As far as wearing makeup or jewelry, I'm going to get myself in more trouble by quoting, um, may I say to you, my friends, um, Jay Vernon McGee. Thank you. I knew some of you would fly right back with that. The interesting thing about J. Vernon McGee, did you know that he was a PhD? J. Vernon McGee was an incredibly bright man and he just sounded like a hillbilly, but he was incredibly bright. Here's what Jay Vernon McKee said about makeup and women. He said, may I say to you, my friends, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> there it is. Look, and that was Jay Vernon McGee that said that, not me. Okay, for the ladies who are mad at me now, that was Jay Vernon McGee. Um, there's not a problem with wearing makeup. There's not a problem with having a necklace on. There's not a problem with wearing earrings. There's not a problem with looking nice. There's a problem when you go overboard to draw attention to yourself, especially in that culture that they were living in because of the things that were going on. But certainly there's, a, there's an application for us, isn't there? There's an application for the way that we dress and the things that we do because we're standing for Christ. Then it gets worse. Paul says a statement that makes it worse. He says, Let women learn in silence with all submission. Paul says, I want a little bit of shuddy from you ladies, and I want you to submit. Now, that becomes difficult, but the word silence here and silence in verse uh, 12 is the word peaceable. It's an unfortunate translation to translate it silence. It's like saying women can never talk in church. I want silence from them in church, and that's it. He was never saying that. There were women that were deaconesses. There was uh, uh, Lydia in Philippi who was one of the leaders that was in the church. I believe that a woman can be a pastor in a church. I think that you can have a youth pastor that's a woman, a children's pastor that's a woman, uh, a woman's pastor that's a woman. You can have different positions of authority. I think that she can't be a senior pastor, but she can be in leadership and she can be under that authority. I don't believe that you should have a woman who makes doctrine decisions about what's going to be believed, but certainly she can explain doctrine. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it says, let women be in silence with all submission. The word submission, now we don't like that. Again, we're in our culture. And we say submit and the lady say, he said what? (laughs) He said, did he say submit? Because if Paul were still around, I'd string him up for saying submit. The word literally means under rank. Be under rank. We understand that. We live in a military city. Some of you guys are in the military. And you tell me, let's just say you're a major, and you walk by a colonel, and you salute that colonel. Are you, by saluting that colonel, being in submission, being under rank, and showing that out in public, are you saying in any way, shape, or form that that colonel is a better person than you as a major? Or what about the private? The general may not be the person the private is. The private may have far greater character than the general does. His rank doesn't say anything about his character. Submission... Whether it's in the church or submission, whether it's in the family or in a home, doesn't say anything about a person being a better person or not as equal as another person. It simply says being in rank. And I'll take it that Paul was having some trouble with women in the church of Ephesus that were out of rank. Maybe that were making a lot of noise. Maybe we're challenging certain teachings that were being taught. The men would sit on one side, the women on another side. Maybe there was some discussion going back and forth. Maybe people got in arguments. Paul was saying, let's, have, let's be peaceable. Remember, not s so, Let's be peaceable and let's be in submission. He goes on to say here, I do not permit a woman to teach, it gets worse, or to have authority over a man, but to be in, in peace or to be in silence. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Doesn't mean that she can't be in leadership. It doesn't mean that she can't share what a text says. It means that there needs to be a submission under the authority of a man, a senior pastor, or of a group of men, elders, that are over a church. That's what it means. Why? Well, Paul gets us into more trouble by saying why. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. All right, under rank, okay? It was Adam first and then Eve. Adam was, and then Eve came along as the helper. So it's kind of the way God has set it up. Again, in Ephesians, where it says that women are to be submissive to their husbands and the husbands are to die for the wives, the husband has the role that is more of a servant. Tell me what's more of a servant. And by the way, the Bible also says that we are to submit to one another. There are plenty of times that I submit to my wife. A few years ago, I wanted to buy a Chevelle. I did buy a Chevelle, 69 Chevelle. I really wanted it and I talked to my wife and my wife said, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea for us to buy that right now. And uh, I pushed it a little bit. I, I went into the you know, portion where I persuaded her that, the um, portion of the conversation where I was trying to manipulate her, really, in reality, that um, it was very important for me to get this Chevelle. And um, so finally she said, well, I'm not your mom. Do whatever you want to do. And so I took that as a yes. <laughs> and uh, I went out and I bought the Chevelle. The motor blew up in a couple of months. I had to replace the tranny, sold it, lost a bunch of money on it, and had to finally say to her, you were, you were, you were right and I was, I was wrong and I'll never buy anything again without you giving me permission to buy that again. <laughs> For me to say, I'm the man, I'll do whatever I want to do and what you have to say doesn't matter to me really just shows a tremendous amount of foolishness We are to submit to one another, and we're in this thing as a team, and we move together, right? But um, Adam first and then Eve. And so there's this order of rank. And then he says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And Paul gets us in more trouble. He says, look, it was Eve that was deceived, but Adam knew what he was doing. In other words, he's saying that women are more prone to be deceived. Now, let's think about that. Um, Men and women are different. Let me just look at the top. Oh, it's, I'm, God, I'm out of time. I got it. All right. Um, men and women are different. Everybody agrees on that, right? If there's anybody in here who says men and women are not different, then please just raise your hand now. All right. So everybody in here believes men and women are different, okay? They're different physically. They think differently. I, I said earlier that women can do 10 things. They can cook dinner, text, talk on the phone, and tell their husband what to do. All at the same time. I can't do that. I can, like I said, I, when I'm looking for my text, I'm looking for 1 Timothy and I can't even talk to you guys. I want to give announcements and look at my text. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Where are you going to find my text because that's all I can do. I can do one thing at a time. It's been said, David Guzik, Calvary Chapel pastor, and he's got a whole, all the Bible outlined online. It's a great resource if you want to look him up and look up his outlines if you're going through a book of the Bible. It's very, very helpful. David Guzik says, Women seem to be more sensitive to spiritual things, seem to have a better spiritual discernment. Now, I would, I would attest to that. I think it's true. If I just think about, it, especially me and my wife, my wife is far more discerning when it comes to spiritual things than, than, than I am. But I seem to have a mind that puts things in order a little bit better. Okay, let me just throw out the little bit because I'm trying to soften it, right? I, I believe that I have a mind that, that orders things better. She has a little bit more, she has more discernment than what I have. I'm trying to soften it to make it not sound so bad. So, so that in this ranking and who we are, that in the church, God doesn't want women coming up with what doctrine should be. That's what this passage is saying. That Eve was deceived and not Paul, I mean, excuse me, and not Adam. And so um, it's a man who should be in that position. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that in our culture. I do have a problem when people put down women or the role of women in leadership in the church. I think there's a huge problem with that. Now it gets worse in verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved by childbearing. What? (laughs) Us men in the room, we're saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And you women, when you have kids, you're saved. You're okay, you make it into heaven. (laughs) Obviously, that's not what that's saying. And these people, there's been a book written recently that says that you women, you find your fulfillment in life by having kids. They try to say our culture has made women go out into the workforce, in the work field, and you working women, you're ungodly. But you women that stay at home with your kids, you're godly. For, those, for the woman who wrote that book, and for others who teach that, I want to say, read Proverbs 31, which has the woman involved in all kinds of things. It says the godly woman does real estate deals. The godly woman, is, it's got this list of all the things. she Where's the man? She's doing everything. She's getting up in the morning. She's cooking food. She's going out in the market. She's buying a field. She's doing all the stuff. For those of you that say that women find their, this has been said, women find their self-worth in having children. What, what about the women that can't have children? What about a woman that has the gift of singleness? How incredibly First of all, unsensitive, that is, to, to women. Secondly, we live in a culture that looks down upon women staying at home with their kids. And Paul is saying in this culture here as well, which was beginning to do the same thing, it's okay to do that. You're safe in childbearing. You're saved in childbearing. Live a quiet and peaceable life. Take care of your kids. Don't think you've got to be out there putting on this big show, dressed all up to the hilt. Take care of your children. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing for us to understand. And those that have gone too far, saying that women need to just stay home and have, well, just what, what is you know, we're talking about the candidates, the candidates with Romney, his wife, that five boys, right? So there's a lady in the media who says of Mrs. Romney, she hasn't worked a day in her life. She raised five boys, and all the women go, that's it, that's it, throwing down now. Let's go. But that's the way our culture thinks about raising children when raising children is an honor and there's something natural inside of a woman that wants to nourish and have children and who wants those children. And that's a good thing. So Paul, this is all in context. Live a quiet and peaceable life. And women, you're safe in childbearing. You're saved in childbearing. There's nobody saying, I shouldn't say that. This is not saying that you're saved by childbearing. There are people who are saying that. And I'll be as polite as I can. They're whack they don't understand how to, how to interpret the Bible, how to approach the Bible, how to handle the Bible well. They have a great misunderstanding of how to handle the Bible when you take a statement like this and say, women are saved in childbearing, save eternity and through bearing children. There's a lot of other passages that says that we're saved by other things. There's a lot of ways that which that word is used. Uh, Peter said, Lord, save me when he was sinking in the water. Was he saying, save me eternally and for all of eternity by grabbing my hand. Wasn't saying that. So yes, this word is used to be saved for eternity, but it's also to be whole. It's also to be safe. And he's saying, live a quiet and peaceable life. Live the life the way you're supposed to out there. Take care of your kids. This is a gift from God. It's a gift from God for us to be fathers. It's a gift of God for you to be mothers. And we live a quiet and peaceable life, and Christ shines out of that. In all faith, in all holiness, right, is what it goes on to say, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Paul is certainly not saying that women don't have a role or that women don't have a role in leadership. He's saying we ought to pray living this way and then the message of the gospel can go forth with great strength. And I'm late. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and pray. Father, we want to thank you again for this passage. And Lord, we do thank you for this passage that is difficult for us to go through. And uh, it's really easy for us to read it from our perspective in our culture for what women have gone through in the last hundred years and make it say something that it doesn't say. Lord, we, we understand rank. We understand the position of a, of a man in a home, position of a woman in a home. We thank you that you have brought us together as couples, that you have brought us together to care for, nourish our family. We understand that in our rank or in our role, we do that the best. We pray that we would do that. We thank you for the continued work that you are doing in each one of our lives. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining
0: us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8:30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7:15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our facebook page and youtube channel our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If practical Christian living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.